Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. At Total Wine & More, we know what pairs perfectly with summer. Go ahead, test us. What goes best with a beach trip? This crisp rosé. A pool party? Try these craft beers. Oh, you're good. Wondrous selection, helpful guides, ridiculously low prices. Total Wine & More. So, did you see, by the way, that they actually went and did it? They changed the strokes, Why Are Sunday So Depressing? They fixed the problem for you on Spotify. Yeah, yeah. That happened quite quickly, I think, after that episode went out. I was like, damn it out of date immediately <laughs> um i was very relieved because that was really i'm not going to say triggering but it was irking me um i don't know that stuff kind of bothers me just any little inaccuracies in fucking text or whatever i just i'm a writer dave i don't know does that wind you up it drives me insane yeah and at the moment like my new job involves a lot of editing of copy so yeah. it's kind of like hey there should be a hyphen here right but thankfully you know it's not like the the hot press days you remember back in the hot press days craig when uh fucking mumford and sons were on the cover of the magazine and i was like yeah cool great photo you know they look they, they look like wholesome young hay bale fair and men but it's like you've got an and here guys mumford and sons they use an ampersand you know i kind of feel like it's their thing so you should go with that and i was told no it doesn't matter and i was like sorry i was like they're on the fucking cover of the magazine. Yeah. And it was like, no, 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 Like this isn't an important detail. I'm like, it is. It's that a is, massively important detail. Yeah, I'm, I'm very much of your school where it's like, whatever spelling or whatever kind of stylizing the artist chooses for themselves, just kind of accommodate that in text. But it's probably a, an argument. Obviously, in Hot Press, it was just like, that'll do. But I'm sure like there, there are magazines where they will alter it just to keep in line with their house style. I don't know how I feel about that. In the case of Mumford & Sons, though, an ampersand is just like adding to their twee, hipster, fucking faux, rustic bullshit. So stick <laughs> it to them, I say. <laughs> yeah, fair point. If ever there was a fucking pejorative, though, for the entire Hopper's experience, it would be, that'll do. <laughs> anyway... <laughs> My 
name is Dave Hanready and there will be no encore. Welcome to episode 211 of the No Encore Music Podcast. Up here in the 211, Craig. I know. <laughs> Nosebleed territory. How are you, sir? I'm okay, yeah. I mean, it's been, yeah, it's 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 hard to know what week it is, isn't it? You know? I know, yeah, yeah. For six or seven weeks, this remote thing. I miss you, man. I miss you too, dude. Um, no masks this week. I saw in the group chat that you're, you were at least contemplating buying a mask. Can we expect that for the next show? Yeah, I've be... pulled the trigger. I've uh, gone oh, ahead you got and one? I've, uh, I've, ordered, well, I've ordered it. I don't know when it will arrive, but um, yeah, and it was a charitable enough one. And now that I've said it, <laughs> like, my, my charity anonymity has been waived. Um, <laughs> oh, well. Yeah, I figure, I, I don't, I'm just seeing all these fucking headlines where everyone's like, yep, we're going to start wearing masks. And I'm like, I'm not expecting the government to actually give them to us. So I thought, screw it, I'll just bite the bullet here and, and do it. Yeah. But you know, so you, didn't get, you didn't get like a banned merch one or anything. No, it's like just a proper no. clinical jobby. Surely like Slipknot have <laughs> unveiled their ones so far now. I haven't, I haven't fully looked into it. I just kind of thought this is quick and easy and I'll do it. And it's for a good cause. So it has been suggested though, as a matter of fact, it was been suggested by like a listener of the show that we make no encore face masks, which I don't know how I feel about. <laughs> I kind of think it'd be... <laughs> With it the logo? Yeah, with the logo, the new logo, the great new logo that we love. That would look kind of cool, I think, yeah. I'm just thinking of the logo over your kind of face. It would have a kind of Darth Vader-esque quality to it. It would be kind of itching. I think we should do it for charity. It's also, good, it's also it's a real conversation starter. So I want people to stop in the street and talk oh, yeah. to me while I'm trying to hide from them generally. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> you know, the, have you seen the Rolling Stones one, which works surprisingly well? Because it's, it's just like the mouth, lips and the tongue. Yeah, yeah, it looks cool, <laughs> I will say. Cutting edge Rolling Stones, as always. So yeah, uh, before we get to the news, this week on the show, we'll be reviewing the new album from Car Seed Headrest. We'll be doing our top five summer jams, which will hopefully be less controversial and get me into less trouble for Craig's reckless actions on last week's show when we did our yeah. top five over. albums. You were bouncing albums. messages off me. People were outraged, uh, particularly at the Marvin Gaye choice. Um, but I did get some messages behind the scenes of support. Um, a lot of cowards who weren't saying it publicly. <laughs> But yeah, that's what the list was all about, right? It's like fucking, you know, St. Marvin and his unimpeachable album, um, which is has some great stuff, but, you know, some filler. Um, I enjoyed that one. It was a tough one. And this week's one was enjoyable listening to the Summer Jams. It was lighter fare. But again, I was sick doing it because not only did I have a short list, I got to a point where I was cutting clips just in case. Like, so it just was so much work. Uh, but for the pod... It's going to be upbeat, Craig. Snap out of it, yeah? <laughs> sorry, sorry. It's summertime, uh, baby. By the way, is it even summer? I mean, it's May 1st now. 1st like, of May, the yeah. May Day. It is in, in kind of Irish terms, right? But I think that's inaccurate. I think in, in school we were all taught like February, March, April is spring, but it's not really. I'm not getting into this. Not on this. I think no, February's like, winter. I'm not doing this. I'm flat Next out not week, doing this. Top five months of the year. No, <laughs> we'll Popcorn also released an episode this week about the Bross documentary after the screaming stops. That's in your feeds. I hope you enjoyed it. If you have yet to get to it, get to it and check out that documentary because it is phenomenal. And once again, it a is. huge thank you to our new patrons who have signed up over the last week. Patreon.com slash noencore. Very, very glad to have you on board. If you want to throw us the price of a pint or more go to patreon.com slash noencore. It helps keep the lights on and equipment flowing and just our general dopamine hit, you know. We feel good. Money makes us feel good, Craig. That's how it works. It's capitalism. <laughs> so, I want in money. the news, busy week actually for once, and I think, I could be wrong, but I think most of these stories, maybe all of these stories, have nothing to do with the coronavirus. Is that true? 
Uh, the first story has something to do with coronavirus, <laughs> <laughs> but in a tangential way. Um, Take it away. So, yeah, this is about um, unemployment in the United States of America, particularly Kentucky. Um, so it turns out that Tupac Shakur filed for unemployment in Kentucky and the governor could hardly believe it was the NBC headline, which was just hilarious. Uh, but yeah, it's no joke. Uh, the Lexington man's name was brought up by the governor, Andy Bashir on Monday night as he spoke about how the state was trying to process like all the unemployment claims. Of course, there's a huge problem problems over there, more so than even here, um, with people just being out of work, having no support, trying to get people money. Um, he was saying, he was like using this name as an example of a few bad apples in kind of true um, Leo fashion, uh, saying that there's one person who'd filed an unemployment claim under the name of the late rapper Tupac Shakur. Um, they were responsible for slowing down the unemployment processing. Um, he was like, you know, people think they're funny. Um, they're making thousands of other people wait for their benefits. Turns out that Tupac Shakur, um, Tupac Malik Shakur is 46-year-old man who does indeed go by that name. Uh, he works as a cook um, before restrictions stopped the spread of, uh, to stop the spread of coronavirus, shut down the restaurants, obviously. So yeah, he's been talking to NBC and he's been saying he's obviously struggling for the past month, trying to figure out a way to pay his bills. It's his real name. He says he's hurt. He's really embarrassed and he's shocked as he should be. <laughs> this is crazy. Your man didn't even double check. It's a feel-good story, Craig. It's nice to hear Tupac Shakur about a man who was not, in fact, slain in a dramatic bout of gunfire. Uh, and in this case, has actually, you know, he got a personal apology, and I presume he did. Yeah, it instantly reminded me. It instantly reminded me of one of my favorite ever no encore stories, which was like another Tupac somehow connected to U.S. unemployment story. Do you remember our boy um, Jerry Fox Hoven? I think it was. The self-described like 66-year-old white guy who was the, I think, the head of human resources in like the the State Department in Iowa. And he was like sacked, he thought, because he was having like Tupac Fridays. He was sending lots of work emails <laughs> quoting Tupac lyrics. I think he made, himse- <laughs> he made himself a Tupac birthday cake on his own birthday in work. Um, but yeah, <laughs> working from home has its plus sides, I suppose. You enjoying that? You enjoying the work from home thing? It's still a bit surreal. I don't really like the um, constant meetings. Um, it's the silences to get me. This is fine when it's nice and relaxed, but when you're on a work meeting and it's like there's no room for any kind of pause, the fraction of a second delay, and it's, it is a fraction of a second, is just enough to kind of like, if you're waiting for a response, particularly like if you're in a creative thing and you're trying to maybe pitch something and you're like, okay, this could go one of two ways. It's anxiety inducing, but other than that, it's all right. How about you? New job as well. Like, how are you finding that? Trying to yeah, make relationships via the internet. It's been... It, You're well used to that month, anyway. Yeah. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> Seemed like an easy joke. <laughs> wow, thanks. Excellent. Cheers, man. Uh, yeah, it's, I'm, I'm in the job a month now. Um, and it's going good, I think. I hope so. They haven't fired me yet, so that's good. <laughs> Your first work we'll party see. or work gathering when, like, restrictions are properly lifted is going to be surreal. I can't. Like, I, I've, already made, I've already made the joke though like, that I, I feel like I will probably never meet my new colleagues ever. <laughs> like I'll probably never have to go to the office. I'll say this: the commute looks like a bit of a nightmare. So this is grand. Like get yeah, out of yeah. bed, fucking half an hour before I gotta go to work. Yeah, get in. <laughs> so, <laughs> uh, small team. They're all very sound, and uh, we're sure we know one of them. You know, one, one of them is a good we friend. Do of ours, indeed. So, yeah, so yeah, it's yeah. All good. Um, who was not happy with you last week? We'll get to those top fives yet again. Uh, however. Keeping the mood up, B, Craig. Um, yeah. How do you Keeping feel the music industry, the music industry <laughs> pivoting to nothing but happy songs? Apparently, according to a Rolling Stone feature this week, that it included a bunch of songwriters and producers and label execs and a few other people, movers and shakers, you might say. 
Uh, apparently, people don't want sad songs anymore, given the current state of things. They just want Pharrell-esque bullshit. Are you on board? Uh, no, I'm very much not on board. Um, this was always going to happen, right? But it's like, I think it should be maybe a natural thing where our kind of, our state of mind as a, as, as a kind of, as the human race shifts to, okay, we need some fucking, rele- something to relieve the tension. But this weird cynical thing of just like, uh, right fucking happy music for the industry is total bullshit. I think it'll happen naturally. I, I'd imagine, like I did see an article recently where they were talking about the film industry, particularly around the Great Depression era. And like, that's when you got like a lot of kind of golden age fucking classic comedies, which is a flood of those because it's what the people wanted. They're thinking we might suddenly see after like probably a barren decade and a half for comedies, like a lot more of those when production starts again, which I would welcome uh, if they're of decent quality. But musically, uh, like I'm not really a happy-go-lucky musical kind of guy. Um, you'll be shocked to hear. So no, I don't want more Pharrell's happy. Well, it's very clearly looking towards the radio and the more mainstream aspects of things. I don't think our favourite sad boy artists are going to be particularly... I don't think they're suddenly going to change course. I can't see a Frank Ocean or a Lana Del Rey suddenly throwing out like a two and a half minute sunshine jam. But strange things have happened, Craig. Uh, I will say in this article, they quote from Brian Fallon of the Gaslight Anthem fame, who's made some new song, which I did not even go near <laughs> because I just knew what it would be. And it reminded me of that time I interviewed him for Hot Press. And I remember um, he had a side project at the time and it was with his guitar tech. I mean, like, talk about a real fucking passion project there that the world needed him just and his guitar tech just putting out a record. And I remember, like, it was on the phone. So it was one of those things where, like, you have all your questions on the sheet in front of you. Um, you get to see... Because normally if I'm doing a face-to-face, I don't like doing that. You know, just kind of not my style uh, in this case though when question six or seven i had written down was something like um most people when they do a side project uh, kind of you use this opportunity to be a bit experimental and do something a bit outside the box you however have kind of have not stayed <laughs> did i suggest this more... question to you to you is this no, another this one wasn't... of my guaranteed to fucking <laughs> make <laughs> turn it into a car crash interview straight away <laughs> <laughs> this wasn't an amanda palmer situation that time that you dropped me in it yeah no no this was different i i had, I had phrased it better but i basically was like had it had that set up to be like oh you chose to kind of you know keep the thread going or whatever but before i could ask that question he himself (laughs) he himself (laughs) he volunteered his own kind of take on it and he said something to the effect of i mean that's why with this record you know i mean like it was just such an absolute pleasure and so important to me to do something completely different and i'm just like i'll just scratch that question out we'll ask that that's fine um he was also buying a suit for a wedding when i rang him and i never did i remember i remember that day yeah it was um an interesting because often with those phoners, you can't really give too much in the way of interesting context or whatever, or like frame some, you know, give some colour around it. But you got a, a kind of freebie with that one, right? I think you wrote an interpiece, which made sense. It was easy, yeah. It was one of those 500 worders. And I was like, you know, he I rang him and he's like, hey man, can you call me back in five minutes? And I was like, oh, I'll give you 10 minutes, pal. <laughs> <laughs> like, Instant rapport. What a bro. Yeah. <laughs> so, but no, back to this thing though. I mean, there's a quote here, which, you know, again, very Craig inflected. The director of someone who's an advertising marketer. Uh, the brands are searching for songs of togetherness. We're there for you, supporting all the frontline people. We're getting four to five of those asks per day. And then writer produced Tricky Stewart, who has worked with the likes of Rihanna and Beyonce, said that people want messaging that will make them look on the brighter side. Sync requests for that type of song are absolutely through the roof right now. Everyone knows that people only want to feel up. So there you go, Craig. You're out here saying that people should feel bad. 
I think people need to work through their proper feelings. And sometimes that can be tough, but the arts are a great place to do it. So don't be scared, pop artists. Yeah, I think something that you probably shouldn't turn to in this time of need, though, if you're looking for a boost, is new episodes of The Simpsons, which, of course, as we know, are uniformly terrible and exist only to make us, to confound us, really. Essentially, I think there's a situation here where, with The Simpsons still on the air, you've you, you got the right to ask why. A few years ago, we talked about a hip-hop episode that they were going to queue up, which they called uh, The Great Fatsby, which was a play Jesus. on the Gatsby. <laughs> yeah, laden with references to Empire, that show that I've never seen. And apparently it passed mostly without incident. People were kind of thinking, oh my god, this could be horrendous. But by all accounts, it was fine. It was just another mediocre episode of The Simpsons. However, it wasn't fine for the show's 75-year-old composer, veteran composer, Alf Clausen, who had scored over 500 episodes in the show's 27 years history at that time. And he basically was working on it. Apparently, James L. Brooks, the producer of the show, was... <laughs> Sorry, I'm just imagining a dear old 75-year-old Alf getting the brief for the next episode. So it's like, okay, Alf, we want you to write some hip-hop. <laughs> Well, that was a problem because apparently James L. Brooks did not have the confidence in his man. He questioned whether he was the right person to prepare rap music and questioned his work more generally, according to producer of the show, because this thing is in court now, Craig. Clausen was subsequently fired from the show, not because he did such a terrible job, but because he apparently farmed out the work to his son. And that was kind of the reason to give him the hook. Apparently, they kind of wanted him gone anyway. But effectively, The Simpsons believing themselves to be, I, I think wrongfully, believing themselves to still be in the zeitgeist, were saying that like it's important for the show to reference and use the musical genres that are popular at the time or that evoke relevant cultural <laughs> references because the show entertains not only by telling a story, but by making these references. And musical references are incredibly important for that. At some point, it became clear that Clausen was not adept at composing all the myriad forms of music desired for the show. So apparently they kind of shopped around, they tried to get other people involved, he eventually got the boot. Uh, they tried to bring in Hans Zimmer, who was like, no, I'm not really up for that, but you can have this random collective I put together. And they're like, fine. But uh, How out of date is the Rolodex of people? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, apparently, like it's kind of sad your man Clausen like uh, has Parkinson's disease now and said oh, okay. like, the firing from the show took a severe emotional and physical toll on yeah, him yeah I can imagine they're basically fighting in public essentially and in the background here what shouldn't really be forgotten is that the Simpsons tackling hip hop in 2016 is not really something that they ever should have done I wonder who um, um, when... <laughs> sorry I was going to say I wonder who ended up working on it did they like did they call up the dude who wrote Do the Bartman back like 30 years ago or something <laughs> <laughs> he's with it <laughs> I don't know. I, I just kind of feel like it's it's a depressing thing, The Simpsons. I mean, it, it, it lives in that kind of weird outside of time radius. You know, time is a flat circle with The Simpsons. It's just one of the things where, how can something that was so good be so bad now? I know, I know. How do you feel about the um, memification of generally classic Simpsons and just the fact you can't move on Twitter for a Simpsons reference? Does that kind of... Does that irk you just because you're like, oh, listen, I'm so sick of the output they've had for the last 20 years that I don't need that stuff or move on? Or are you happy to be reunited with those classier bits? I think it's kind of bulletproof. I think even like Arlen Simpsons fans, which I did write a profile on when I was in Joe, which was grand. Yeah. I mean, like sometimes that makes me laugh and sometimes I think it's just kind of fish in a barrel stuff, but it also comes from, I mean, that's like a fucking example of user generated content, UGC, as they would say, uh, as they generally kind of, you know, stand behind that whenever a scandal comes along and they're like, well, it wasn't us. It was Craig. 
So um, effectively, <laughs> it doesn't. I, I think The Simpsons, like classic Simpsons, is so bulletproof and so eminently quotable that like it's fine. Um, it falls into my daily lexicon as well. I think it is genuinely. It was genuinely that fucking good. I mean, like I've I've always made the kind of the idea, the notion of. Can you imagine being in the writer's room when the show was on its top form? Because think of the jokes that you never saw. Think of the jokes that they threw yeah. out. Bob Odenkirk, Conan O'Brien. Just, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, Crazy on, times, I mean, like, I'm sure. I, uh, well, I will say this is probably a good opportunity for me to pull you up on something because earlier in the week I did I did see you on Twitter making a ridiculous claim that Frasier oh, is better than Seinfeld. I was Seinfeld, wondering when we were going to get to this. Which, yeah, I'm surprised we're doing frankly, an episode. I thought that was the end of our professional <laughs> relationship. <laughs> oh yeah, I fired you for like the 16th time. Oh. I mean, listen, Frasier's great and all, but are you kidding me? Seinfeld is the king. It is the greatest. I was being a bit provocative, um, and I will say they're kind of incomparable, right? They're Apart from being like 90 sitcoms, they're kind of different genres. You literally compare them to each other. I definitely prefer Frasier. Um, I have at Sky Plus, I've about like 200 episodes of Frasier, like backlogged that I'm working through. Uh, it's just such like fucking... It's like sinking into a nice warm bath of comfort. It's just... Makes me all warm and fuzzy. Um, I love the kind of slapstick stuff combined with how clever it was as well. It doesn't do the observational stuff that Seinfeld did. So it's a completely different, um, completely different genre to me. Um, and they actually learn and grow. And um, there's like emotion in it, which Seinfeld entirely lacks <laughs> on purpose. So yeah, they scratch different itches. But I would always pick Frasier over Seinfeld. You don't need to have a Sky Sky Plus or whatever you've done there because it's on the RTE player, man. Streams like a dream. <laughs> <You're> totally fine. <laughs> sure the ads in between are like fucking super high def. Totally perfect. And then the episode comes on and it's like, eh. Have you been watching The Last Dance, the Michael Jordan documentary on Netflix? Now I'm going to get on it this weekend, I think. Um, uh, everyone's raving about it. Apparently the access is unreal. I have always been intrigued by, yeah. by that team and that kind of era. Um, as someone that's not the hugest basketball fan, but just like, yeah, what a time for the sport. Have you watched it? Yeah, I'm really enjoying it so far. Although, uh, no popcorn co-host Dave Higgins, who in fairness is a big basketball fan, he knows stuff. He has poured cold water on it. He thinks it's not very good at all. He thinks it's just a rehash of 30 for 30 stuff and thinks it's too close to its subject, all of which are probably true and correct. But for me... And 30 for 30 is incredible. So like, if you haven't seen that, that's no bad thing necessarily. Do you know what I mean? I'm sure the hardcore would be like, okay, I know this, but... Yeah, but we're talking about Dave Higgins here. The man is... (laughs) A refined character of sport <laughs> Unlike he knows us. his stuff. Well, actually, it's probably good. It's, it's a good link here because we recently did Eight Mile on No Popcorn. Yeah. And Michael Jordan and Eminem have more in common than you might think. Isn't that right, Craig? Yes. Yeah, so Eminem, a big um, Michael Jordan fan, apparently, um, even though he's not from Chicago, he's from Detroit. But he's been recalling the time he asked Jordan to come to Detroit so that he could dunk on the six time NBA champion. Now, Everything I know about Michael Jordan would indicate that he is kind of humorless, bit of a nasty bastard. Uh, this didn't go down well. So Eminem's been talking in a new interview. He describes the phone call with Jordan. Uh, they were discussing a shoe collaboration at the time, um, which I don't know if that ever happened. Um, probably a wise business move in terms of Eminem. Um, didn't come to fruition, actually. I was on the phone with him. M says, we were talking. Everything was cool. He's super cool. Everything was good until we get to the end of the phone call. And I said, yo, man, when are you going to come to Detroit so I can dunk on you? Um, remembering Jordan's reaction, Eminem continued, it was crickets. I don't remember exactly what he said, but I think he just kind of was like, ha, ha, ha. I remember getting off the phone going, oh, my God, I think I might have just blew it. So even Eminem... <laughs> 
notices when he steps over the line. Um, yeah, an awkward one. So hang on. In recent weeks of the show, you've kind of, I mean, like obviously, you know, we, we have we have Craig on Kanye, so that's probably Kanye Corner. You've started kind of developing, cultivating your own Brandon Flowers <laughs> Grove lately. Yeah, another like never meet your heroes uh, news. Brandon Flowers has been reflecting on being told Brian Eno didn't want to work with the killers. Uh, he says it really messed him up. It turned out that Brian Eno was never even properly asked because apparently like the ma- band's management or the record label was just like, he's never going to do it, even though he's worked with Coldplay. Um, so yeah, him and Ronnie Venucci did an Instagram live session um, during the week. They were taking questions from fans and responding to one query on why they d- hadn't worked with Eno yet. Ferris said that they had in a roundabout way because they'd written over an Eno instrumental they said he was top of the list in the early days because, of course, he is with all of those kind of bands. Um, they considered working with him on their second album. Uh, it's a long story, but the label sort of lied to us and told us he said no. But it was a blessing, if a lie can be a blessing, um, because it was the record they got to work with Flood and Alan Mulder, and they're really happy with the outcome. The outcome, of course, being this seminal Sam's Town, which was the born to run of this century, <laughs> or at least they wanted it to be. Uh, there's some tunes on that. The production's kind of all right. I think it probably worked out. There's no weird ambient passages that you'd usually get with old Serapus, uh, Brian Eno. But yeah, um, so he's he's portraying it in a, a positive light. The Killers have pushed back their new album. It was due to be out sooner than later, and now it's been pushed back. And as a result, I haven't really checked out any of the new songs. Apparently, because they dropped a new one last week, and apparently it's very, very good. But Very I'm Talking wait. Heads-esque. It's good, yeah. Fire and Bone. I, I was really liking it last week. I'm going to wait. Um, I recall uh, the last album was fine. Like, it had its moments. They're not a band that I would necessarily revere. But, you know, I guess they're solid enough. Are you excited about a New Killers album? Does it do anything for you? Um, Brian Eno sure or no Brian Eno? Be, I'm sure there'll be um, tracks to grab and stick on a playlist. They're a kind of band that, like, they make a decent greatest hits if you're so inclined, right? Oh, yeah. If you want some, oh, like, yeah. they're, low investment They're the ultimate rock. greatest hits band. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just take half the first album on, like... <laughs> <laughs> The first half. Uh, we've said it before, but Hot Fuss Man just fucking falls off a cliff halfway through, doesn't it? Oh like, my god, so yeah. Loaded. That's another one that could have been in fucking overrated albums, because now it's revered, like, in the same light as, like, an Is This It or something. I know Is This It was named by a few people last week, much to my chagrin. But my gosh, you're dead right. Like, after, like, a phenomenal start, just, oh god. It's all that glamorous indie rock and roll, terrible song. Oh god, there's so many bad songs in that second half. I don't know what they did. So in last week's overrated albums list, I did, of course, include Daft Punk's Random Access Memories. I mean, I know it's kind of fish in a barrel, but it's got to be there. It did get me thinking after the fact, though. I was like, that was 2013. It has been seven years. I could take a new Daft Punk album. I'm curious to see what would happen. My prayers have been answered, Craig. They're yeah, lined they're up scoring. to score a film. Yeah, they're scoring the new f- upcoming film uh, from Dario Argento. Um the film, which in English translates to Black Glasses, I'm not going to even attempt to um, give the original title, unless you want to try oh, it out. Neri. <laughs> Glad I passed that to you. <laughs> are you an Argento fan? I am, yeah. And fucking the soundtracks are always great, so this is a good choice, I feel. Daft Punk have done some nice soundtracking work as well. I'm kind of itching for some new material from them. The stuff always sounds lush. I, I, think, they'll, I think they'll nail it. Um... I suppose I wasn't so much looking forward to new music from Daft Punk as them touring again, which never happened, shockingly, after the the kind of commercial success of Random Access Memories. Won't be happening for some time now, if ever. Um, That's really what I want. I want to see Daft Punk live, I think. Yeah, me too. I've never seen them live and I'd absolutely love, 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 love to. Um, 
yeah, the Tron Legacy soundtrack was a lot of fun. They obviously know their onions in the studio. They know how to rob people blind and pass it off as their own work. <laughs> and also, the thing about Dario Argento is, I've asked you, are you a fan? I mean, I assume you're like me. You're referring to him specifically until, say, you know, the early 80s, because he's oh, been yeah, absolutely yeah, yeah. muck in the last <laughs> yes, kind of three yeah, decades yeah. or more, three or four decades. Uh, I, the, uh, the prospect of a new Dario Argento film fills me with dread. Uh, but I'll check this out. I'll check out. I'll see what comes out of it. I mean, I, I kind of feel like this is them slumming it, but at the same time, you know, it's got to be better than Random Access Memories. Um, I often make the point, Craig, that Girls Aloud had better, or as good as anybody. Like, you know, you can stack their singles up against anybody's singles, and they're that damn The killers. Good. <laughs> the, the, the killers, Daft Punk, you know, um, <laughs> Eminem, you know, anybody. Um, and I've thought about this as well. I was like, I find it kind of amusing that there's been no reunion. Well, it's <laughs> coming. Me. It's coming. <laughs> In 2022, potentially. Apparently, yeah. Yeah, uh, Nadine Coz revealed that they're in talks for his 20th, 20th anniversary reunion. Um, 2022 will mark two decades since they were formed on Popstars The Rivals. Can you remember the other bands that was formed, the boy band? Yeah, was it One True Voice? I think it was One True Voice. I cannot remember the song. I cannot remember what they looked like, what they did, where they went. They went nowhere, essentially. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Girls Light were a powerhouse, man. I mean, like, those they first were so in good. particular. Even, like, towards the end, it was kind of like a, a bra situation where it was like, oh, this track barely got in the top ten and this is the end, you know? But, I mean, I think the last, one of those last tracks was, like, The Loving Kind or something, which is a really good song. Um, yeah, I, I have a lot of time for Girls Loud. I think that their music was great. Uh, all the Xenomania stuff, you can't really go wrong. Um, Personality-wise, or even kind of career-wise, who do you think fared the best? They've all gone on to do, like, wildly different things, I guess, in some respects. Yeah, I don't know. I think Nadine fared the worst. Yeah, probably given, you know, if you stack it up a bit, like she was seen as maybe she was going to be the breakthrough star, the breakout star of the group. And then we like when she released her solo album, there was loads of those kind of nasty stories about like, she sold fucking 72 copies or whatever, um, which is probably funnier when it's Johnny Burrell from Razorlight it's happening to. Um, I don't know. I don't know kind of really weird, much about what the other ones did. or Tesco tie-in yeah, though, wasn't it? Like it was, it was. really bad. It, and there was like lots of grim like promo shots of her like launching the album to like some bemused pensioners that were doing their weekly shop in some like you know <laughs> in some supermarket in Slough or something yeah it wasn't good um <laughs> Cheryl Tweedy just became like a brand I guess so congrats to her is she a judge on something at the moment I don't know what she does she's got perfume apparently apparently she was on um some new show called The Greatest Dancer that just got cancelled which I'd never heard of okay so. Sarah Harding I don't know what she's been doing I feel like she got into some kind of TV presenting stuff, maybe possibly some kind of morning shows. I think Kimberly Walsh did similar and maybe also had like a dancing run on one of those shows. And Nicola Roberts yeah. like released some interesting kind of, you know, Xenomania-esque pop music around the time of the turn of the tens. And then it just didn't really take off. It looked like she was going to be like, you know, in that kind of flurry, La Rue kind of bracket. And then, and like the songs were good. But then I think she also maybe got into presenting possibly. They've all been kept busy to some degree, but the reunion you- seems like the right thing to do. And like they, they kind of started pretty young. It feels like it could be like. Do you think this will be a, a Spice Girls just you know cash grab reunion doing the live stuff, or do they have it in them to do like a, a Mark II take that where they? Some would argue they eclipse the first iteration of the band. I could totally see them doing it if they have the wherewithal if they want to. Well, I would they say same writers be, around. No, I think it'll just be the cash grab because I'm kind of thinking about this right, and I'm thinking that like Girls Later kind of if they were to come back say like in 2022. Uh, and let's say, yeah, let's say they did that. Let's say they were like, okay, cool, fuck it, like chapter two. 
I mean, they're very, it's kind of anachronistic now, isn't it? I mean, like, how many girl groups or even boy groups can you really name right now? It's, it's just not really the in thing in the pop industry. You had Fifth well, Harmony, but then K-pop, Mia Cabello yeah. left, and then that was that. Yeah. Am I not, like, One Direction are gone? I think it's uh, everyone's I... moved their attention kind of eastwards and they're looking at K-pop now in, ter- in, that, in terms of that kind of thing, because those groups are massive. They're doing quite, like boundary pushing things in ways um so yeah i just think yeah music's maybe moved on or moved location i was actually listening to some girls aloud uh the other day just when i saw this story crop up and like yeah the songs are fucking great pop songs they do sound quite dated already though just in terms of like the fussier production and like it's a long way from the more minimalistic stuff we're getting at the moment um so yeah i don't know if they would sound weirdly out of time maybe it's the thing that needs like another five or ten years before it comes back around i don't know yeah, I think so. Uh, real quick, The Promise, still your favourite Girls Loud go-to? Oh, of course, yeah. And there's lots of contenders. I love Call the Shots. Biology's amazing. But The Promise is such a jam. Incredible. It's unreal. Okay, uh, a much different pivot, though, for our album this week. It's out right now, as of this podcast dropping. It's the brand new album from Car Seat Headrest. The album is called Making a Door Less Open. This track is called Hollywood. That was Car Seat Headrest. Craig Fitzpatrick. Who the bloody hell are these guys? Let's talk about Car Seat Headrest. Yeah, um, so as with many artists we review of late, uh, this is a musical vehicle for one person that kind of um, blossomed or flowered into a full band thing. I, I guess they're what you would call a band camp success story. Uh, centred around one man, Will Toledo, um, guy out of Virginia who's relocated to Seattle since. Um, which will kind of um, let you know what they sounded like for a long time. Really kind of um, prodigious, uh, industrious songwriter. Like in his teams, he was uploading stuff on Bandcamp, doing the lo-fi rock thing. He released something like seven albums, four EPs in the space of four years when he was still kind of of college age. Um, you know, building a cult following online, finally signed with Matador around about 2015. And he's kind of been hailed as um, the saviour of this, you know, US um, lo-fi indie rock scene. Um, So you can think kind of Seattle, you think Portland. They always reminded me um, of some of the bands that followed in the wake of maybe The Strokes. So like the better parts of Hot Hot Heat, (laughs) Um, a lot of those American bands. Um, but he's kind of, he's very literate as well. And he takes influences from hip hop and modern pop in terms of how confessional he is. Very good lyricist. Um, so for the last few years, he's been doing bits and bobs, but he hasn't released, um, an album of fully original material in about four years since, um, Teens of Denial, I think, which was like a big breakthrough. 
two years ago he released um, Twin Fancy, which was just him re-recording a kind of beloved Bandcamp album that like was totally lo-fi from over a decade ago, um, which earned great notices. But like his fan base is kind of saying, okay, we haven't actually heard any new material from him uh, since he was of like college age. It's been five years. Uh, he's been talking in the press about experimenting, trying to move the car seat headrest sound forward. His fan base, by all accounts, seems to be getting antsy about this. Um, and some of the s- songs that have dropped where he's like, it's you know he's introducing synths shock horror and he wants to be like a big um, pop band that will like rub shoulders with the bigger acts on kind of festival stages whenever they return um so last album felt like a real kind of clearing of the decks him getting one of his lo-fi albums right so he could start anew um starting anew sounds like uh, making a door less open what did you think of the sound so this is what the 12th album technically by this project yeah, it could be more. I, I've kind of lost count. He's he's like in the mold of a my you know um, guided by voices a band like that, where it's just he's certainly in his teens. He was writing songs to beat the band. So I mean, yeah, I'm kind of diving in here slightly blind. I've I've gone back and I've heard Twin Fantasy and a couple of other ones because I, I I noticed this popping up in the last few years. I mean, again, not to keep dodging your question, but. Is it fair to throw the hipster darling tag out here? Is that kind of, you know, Pitchfork approved? <laughs> like, Very much we so. I think do, he was, we can't do a fucking review without, without mentioning Pitchfork, by the way. I'm sorry. Yeah, I think he was seen as spearheading um, that, you know, verging on twee, you might say, but definitely kind of bedroom indie pop for years. And I think at the time he's, if not been away, then focusing on side projects or getting his old material right. We've seen maybe more um, female-fronted bands really take up the mantle and run with it. There's been some great kind of US rock albums in the last couple of years that are doing that kind of thing um, very well indeed. So this is his return here should be like, oh, you know, the the fucking, the main guy's back. Um, is he going to step up? Is this going to be the mainstream breakthrough album? Um, but he's kind of veered left field for him, I think. Well, I guess maybe I am a good kind of sounding board in that regard, if it's going to be a case of will this be palatable to a new audience and will it pick people up? Um, this is a classic case for me of album I enjoyed listening to, but couldn't tell you that much about. Um, I've definitely listened to this one about like, it, it passed the five listen test very, very promptly. It's not a long yeah. album. Uh, it's only 10 tracks. Get the fuck in. And um, yeah, so I think like in the last three days or so, I've listened to it a, a whole bunch and often on repeat. And there's definitely moments where I stop myself and being like, that's really, really good. But generally, I mean, it didn't really connect. I think it's fine. I think it's pleasant. I think it's good. It's also kind of middle of the roady. It sounds stuck between stations, even without knowing any kind of context about it being some kind of chapter two or some kind of chapter three. At times, I found myself wondering specifically what you would have thought of his vocal style, because on more than one track, he seems to kind of devolve not necessarily devolve descend or i guess i don't know assimilate into this kind of strange vocal fry um ish amalgam of Mm -hmm. julian casablanca's beck and james murphy and i'm wondering how that comes (laughs) to you well yeah that's kind of his style um but there's like about the midpoint of this album he does really try to stretch um his voice um he gets nearly operatic which is like you know uh, you know that's what he's going for but he's quite a limited vocalist and it kind of strains um strains credulity almost and might act as a metaphor for like you know um the rest of the album and some of his limitations and maybe you should stay in his whole field i I think like the tone of his voice voice i've always enjoyed the vocal fry thing is 
it kind of works for me, but he is a very limited vocalist, yeah. And I think he could be, a, you know, it, it is a bit Marmite. I, I think the voice could turn some people off. I thought it was fine. It didn't It didn't feel like a barrier to me at all. I mean, again, it's that thing of like, I know soundalikes and comparisons are the worst thing you can do to anyone, but they're there for a reason. And it was more a case of, no, no, no. I was like, this actually feels like he fits in with his contemporaries. It didn't feel too much like a grab bag or any kind of outright thievery. It felt more like, oh, this is a style and it's 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 a kind of a New Yorky kind of thing, maybe, or it's just this kind of very polished in the studio way that works on the ear. I kept waiting for the thing to grab me and to click in a way that was more of stopping me in my tracks. It never really did. It was perfectly fine background music. It was perfectly enjoyable to listen to but i think in a year in which uh, there's been a lot of those albums and this is just kind of another one of them I, I sound down on it and i'm not i liked it but it didn't do enough to convert me yeah as someone that's been a fan of some of his previous work it was a bit of a disappointment i must say um i think we should look at this in the context of what he's trying to achieve um like when we when we did the fiona apple review we kind of led with saying um we're not going to let the pitchfork 10 color this whatsoever and then we talked about it quite a lot um it was also an amazing point where you gave a review of the fall <laughs> because of the album title and i was just like dave's gonna knock a point off this album because he hates the fall <laughs> Which, of course, you did not do, but it was just amazing. We got like a mini review. I really enjoyed it of The Fall. And yeah. you're just like, this is, the show, this not, is not, not a good the TV band, show. We should clarify. Yes, sorry. The For fall, a second there, the I was fall, like, the band, get into Marky Smith? Incredible. I don't remember that. <laughs> <laughs> like, <laughs> but I think it's only fair then to kind of look at this in the context of what he's been saying about his own album. So um, I said like he's trying to rub shoulders with like um, bigger pop artists and bands kind of like the 1975 I think um, and Tame Impala that are actually doing big live business and have a really kind of big accessible sound uh, like the head of Matador was talking in the New York Times piece um, about him recently and he was saying that you know when when Will was going on stage he doesn't want to be overshadowed by whoever else is playing um, <laughs> which he describes as a more futuristic type of music with a more electronic type of palette uh, he wants to compete against them and win I think this has been riling up the fan base as well because it is like US indie types that are like you can't be ambitious whatsoever you can't do that hip-hop thing of saying I want to be the biggest artist in the world so I think that's got them worried as well um I think but if this that's doesn't, what I was gonna say yeah, sound, yeah if that's what he's trying to do and like the head of the label is saying that's what he's trying to do I can't really hear it because the synths don't sound particularly big. And if anything, if he was going for futuristic, this sounds to me like he's adopting a style of music that was like already a bit out of date, even like 10 years ago. Like I was kind of reminded of like when Bright Eyes started doing the digital ash and digital urn stuff and just introducing those kind of synths. I think a lot of the synths are a bit reedy and a bit weedy. I don't know if they work quite well. They're not, they, they jar with some of the songwriting. Um, like Toledo's talked about how he's written a lot of different versions of these songs. Um, so like we've gotten versions of Deadlines where it's more acoustic-y, more kind of dancier versions of it. And he's positioning it as like, that's the kind of nature of how we consume stuff now, man. You get like different versions of everything and everything is current, constantly changing. It's like the life of Pablo um, arguments that Kanye had after the fact where he's like, oh yeah, it's a living album, even though he just like hadn't finished it properly. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think that speaks to Will Toledo wanting to make uh, a big leap, but not being totally sure where he should go artistically. 
I don't really think the synth stuff suits him. Um, I was kind of on board with this album. It is quite listenable. Up until like the midway point, I was like Wiley Coyote, like running off the cliff and being like, yeah, this is great. And then I realized, oh yeah, this isn't, this is bottoming out for me. Um, the first song works really well with the synths, I think. There's almost like an Aphex Twin vibe to like the Chipmunk, um, the Chipmunk kind of background window licker stuff, which works really well. I like the lyrical contents of that. Can't Cool Me Down is like, it's got a great kind of growling hook. Um, like his melodies are still really on point, but I thought it was let down by the synths. Hollywood is like, that is the Beck thing. It's kind of like bad Beck. And it's a bit like, I'm not sure the jokes are landing about like, the sexual predators in the industry. It's fun though. Um, and the chorus is kind of huge. There must be more than blood, I think, is the real standout. I think that's where he actually nails a kind of a more widescreen sound. Um, also, and yeah, I'll say this for nice like, delay um, and tremolo thing. Remind me of Planet Telex from your head a bit. Yes, yeah, going for a for a seven and a half minute song, it does not feel seven and a half minutes. It yeah, freezes. It's by. great. At that moment I was like, okay, yeah, he's nailing this. And then him is that song where he's like doing almost like a like a mariachi thing. <laughs> He's like, get, he like, there's some vocal acrobats. It's like pretty much wordless for a lot of it. And I'm like, oh, you're not nailing this. And then Deadlines is, it's like a Tame Impala song about not hitting deadlines. I'm like, oh, okay, this isn't working. There's some acoustic songs <laughs> that I felt like he had to cram in there for like the fan base. Life Worth Missing is great, but again, I think it was undercut by the production. So it's it's a bit of an experiment. Um, I don't think he quite nails it. I admire the kind of endeavor to do something well. Um particularly when a fan base is like, we just want you to do lo-fi um, guitar rock forever. Um, I mean, that loads, leads nowhere in terms of a kind of fulfilling career. But I don't know if he's nailed down exactly where he should be going. Um, the songs you're going to hear, like I do think he's a great writer. Lyrically, it's, as I say, there's some some great one-liners. There's big choruses, but that's a bit of a tin sound for me. Yeah, I think the last track, Famous, is actually really, really good. It kind of ends on a very, very high note. It's like It has that kind of feel, that kind of anthemic fist in the air type thing and believe in yourself or whatever. Like there was just something about it that really kind of propelled me on. But generally, I did find myself running in place with it. I mean, you look at the imagery associated with this record as well, and there's like a shot of him and his band and he's he's wearing this gas mask. And it's something so he like, started wearing the gas, like he decided apparently to start wearing the mask way before, you know, everyone started wearing masks and Dave, you were <laughs> buying a mask and he's been doing like, um, promo and been doing like fucking interviews on FaceTime whilst wearing the mask. Like I think it's either the New York Times article or the Clash uh, interview where um, the writer says kind of quite witteringly, um, like for the first half of the interview, we agreed uh, to conduct it while he was wearing the mask. Um, But he looks kind of like reluctant while he's doing it, even though he can't see his expression. And then it's kind of quickly abandoned. And he realizes now like he was going for something kind of otherworldly and not everyday and like Bowie-esque. And now he's like, well, everyone's wearing masks now. So that spoke to me as well of like the whole arti- artistic vision for this record being a bit like awkward and him not quite, in- quite knowing how to land it. Totally, yeah. And I mean, like, if you look at the mask itself as well, the way it's designed, it's it's like a cross between kind of fucking Daft Punk, Dead Mouse and Bane. And it's like attached to this kind of, yeah. you know, fairly unassuming indie kid. And it's like, no, this is, and again, you mentioned like Maddie Healy and it's like, I mean, I don't know if that's what you want to aspire to be like in terms of just the extrovert when you're in this band especially if you don't come along with an album that is skyscraping and this one isn't as as it stands i enjoyed it i thought it was a perfectly uh may the first kind of you know indie album to listen to i'll probably pick a couple of tracks off it it didn't grab me that hard though and you know best luck for the future will six out of ten for me 
<laughs> the mask look reminds me most of um do you remember it was a psycho or psychic uh mantis from metal gear psycho Solid? mantis <laughs> what a character what a game <laughs> um this was a six for me i think um there's some really great courses his writing's still pretty song so solid um i don't think the aesthetic works um i think if you weren't really a fan i don't know if this would inspire you to kind of go backwards and delve in, delve in. um will you be going back into the catalog uh i don't think so i mean yeah, it, it's see. it's fine it's it's grand but it's it's not like i don't know it's it's kind of the drums all over again for me if that makes any kind oh, of sense to you what a band they were it does it makes total sense six out of ten six out of ten uh yeah so last week or during the week rather we put out our written version of our top five from last week on our patreon page that's patreon.com slash no encore i greatly enjoyed craig further sticking the knife into lcd sound system this week however <laughs> is all about the power of positivity that wonderful idyllic feeling that happens when the summer hits now we're not really going to have a summer of, of idyllic nature i don't think but we can still have the tunes right we can still have the music and we can still have that amazing feeling and hopefully you can find yourself with some places and spaces in your life that will actually work for you and maybe music will be the amazing tonic that you need so these are five for me anyway craig i don't know about you but like for me this was kind of songs that made me feel like summer like think specifically of summers i've had or that kind of wonderful promise about things and you know i, I didn't necessarily like go for songs with summer in the fucking lyrics or anything how about you <laughs> yeah 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 uh this was kind of torturous for me because uh, i was i was bouncing <laughs> i was using my sister as like a sounding board and i had like a top five and she's like no that's not the list and I was like, why? She she overruled two of my number ones that were like stricken off the list. <laughs> so in the end, what I came down to, like the problem I was having was songs that remind me of like specific summer moments, but were actually kind of wintry songs. And then also a lot of my choices were becoming like, like wistful um, summer memory songs that were actually more like September or October songs, according to my sister. <laughs> So I didn't really get the brief until I landed on five that, as you say, were just like, uh, my criteria became the minute they come on, are they evocative of like that kind of heat, that promise? Do they put you into that moment? Are they kind of like, is there a certain alchemy to them? Is there like sunshine in the music? So that's what I went with. And I was happy with the top five, um, finally. But um, I'm expecting your number five is Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke, right? <laughs> <laughs> Imagine. <laughs> uh, no, Craig, that's my number one. Oh, <laughs> and I assume, I, I assume we have a joint number one this week, and I assume it is, of course, seminal Robin Thick masterpiece, <laughs> and not problematic at all, Blurred Don't Lines. forget no, Pharrell. I, 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 as much I'd as like Pharrell has disowned it, he was involved. And, and T.I. I'd like to clarify for anyone who's reaching for the off button that, uh, no, Blurred Lines is not on, I, I assume it's not on your list, it's not on mine. No, no. I'm actually interested to hear if we have any crossover, though, because we haven't I feel really on a lot of these. I will. I think we will. I'd be surprised i don't think we okay. will but okay i think we will i think we will but okay, okay. let's start with okay. mine and uh yeah this was like kind of a toss-up for me uh, of a certain style but this is the one i went with number five
And that's the Ataris with So Long Astoria, the title track of the 2003 album of the same name, I believe. And yeah, it was kind of between this and Make Damn Sure by Taken Back Sunday in terms of that kind of style of music, I guess, for this one. And I went with uh, the Ataris one because I think it's a... A slightly less bitter song. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> essentially, I think it's fitting that right now um, my microphone stand is placed upon a big fucking Calvin and Hobbes compendium book thing I have, um, because in that line in particular about, uh, you, know, you know, like even if we come home empty handed, you know, we'll still have these things like it's like if you don't go out on this grand adventure if you don't get the thing that you're looking for if you don't find the treasure whatever that may be the experience is like is a huge part of it and it just conjures up that for me it conjures up the like the calvin and hobbes thing of these amazingly like these wonderful kind of formative stories i think about growing up and getting older and winning and losing and it also reminds me of my friends and i think it's also just kind of a very like forward rushing kind of guitar song i find it very irresistible i think it has a cathartic payoff it's a really easy listen like it's of that kind of style of music i think it's just a real kind of beautiful pop song and yeah it was one of the ones that came to mind first when when this list came to mind it's it's kind of the sound of um like suburban skate rats just hanging around curbs and like (laughs) were you a skater no, you weren't. No, I was not. <laughs> no, I. I, 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 I was for like a day, and I yeah, I lacked the skills as well. I just watched on. Um, Tell me about yeah, that day, please. Totally that. <laughs> I tried unsuccessfully to do an ollie, <laughs> and I was <laughs> I like, nope, not for me. <laughs> the music will be grand, and I'm not wearing these baggy trousers either. <laughs> it was part of the problem, I think. It got stuck in the wheels. Um, <laughs> I, Actually, this this selection reminds me of a debate we've had before in terms of summer songs. The Ataris, of course, famously covered Boys of Summer by Don Henley, which you say is superior to the original. It is it not, is, of yeah. course. Uh, open and showcase <laughs> here. No contest. Boys of Summer was in my shortlist, I can reveal, uh, the Don Henley version. And it's a way more summery song because of those synths. Definitely is. It's more airy. It's not as heavy. It's very evocative. It's better, Dave. You're not going to win this one. Why don't we just have your number five, please? It's my number five. What's your name? What's your name? Who's your daddy? Who's your daddy? Is he rich like me? Has he taken us any time to show you what you need to live? Tell it to me slowly. Tell you why. Yes, that is the zombies with time of the season taking you back to the summer of 1968. What were you up to, Craig? (laughs) (laughs) Also, all those, was it in a Bulmer's ad quite a bit? It definitely, oh, it's, been ref- it's been in every, it's been in like 17 yeah. movies, like. So good. It's the refreshing feel of like a cider without the heartburn for me. Um, the Zombies are a band that I think are incredibly slept on. Um, I will recommend a lot of their stuff, particularly the album uh, Odyssey and Oracle. Um, one of those like 60s bands that did a lot of good kind of psychedelic pop stuff and uh, had one or two hits, but like their best stuff was a, a little bit buried. But this is great. Like this is just, it's kind of swagger to this. It's like the sound of like putting on a pair of shades, just such a strut to it. 
Uh, the kind of laconic, knowing vocal. I love Colin Blundstone's tone. Um, it's the same with the likes of She's Not There. Um, my favourite of all time is probably Tell Her No, which is a bit of a timepiece, but it's like so simplistic and airy. You should check that one out as well. Um, but yeah, I love it. I love the call and response. This reminds me how much I miss just walking around aimlessly, like in town, listening to music on sunny days. This is a real walking and strutting song. Oh, no one does it better, Craig. Uh, <laughs> if, the last song, if the last song was a very Dave selection, this is a very Craig selection. I, I can see How you putting this? on a suit to this song. <laughs> <laughs> a suit on top of a suit that I'm already wearing and me Precisely, being too yeah, hot because yeah, yeah. it's summertime. Remember that, uh, um, remember that bio I wrote for you in the hot press days that you did not use? I tried to use it and I was overruled <laughs> by my boss. I, I think I had a line. To it was factor. terrific. Said, it was great. I said though. something yeah, like, uh, Greg wears a suit all the time, and but he wears it to hide it. Like the fact that, uh, what was it like? Uh, it's your human suit or something to the effect of like. That you can never the, peel off or something? The real suit that you can never, like knowing that you can never peel it, take it off, never be clean. <laughs> never be <laughs> <And laughs> I think our editor In was fairness, like. Not using this. <laughs> I actually sent that through. <laughs> did you? For public? Of course I did. That's why we had that conversation where they were just like, you're going to have to change this, Craig. No one's going to get the in-joke. I referenced like, you yeah, maybe murdering fair. a child in that. I should clarify that you have I not cut out that bit. I cut out that bit. <laughs> okay, right. Yeah, cool. Okay. Well, yeah, I, I try. I'm shocked this song wasn't used in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I must say. I was just racking my brain first. there. I was racking my brain there to think, was it? I think they probably... Yeah chose a lot of better stuff maybe in terms of like that style but surely i mean like like i think of this song and i think about pop culture i think about movies and tv shows more than i think about the song i think it may have been ruined for me by its its oversaturation in that regard which is an unfair comment on the song itself but for me i don't think it can live in that vacuum you know wow that's interesting i've managed to separate it i actually listen to this quite a bit it's weird it's on like a few of my playlists um but I guess I'm more likely to dive into 60s stuff as well. So I don't know. It's just more up my alley, I suppose. But yeah, that's my number five. What's your number four, David? It's a recent discovery for me. I know she loves me in the wrong true way. You'll call it as you see it. You think you know the score. But you just never had a girl like Candy. Yeah, that's Alex Cameron. The song is Candy May. So a friend of mine made a bunch of playlists for me there a few months ago, and I kind of listened to them once or twice and was like, oh yeah, I'll go back to that, and then never did. And then I did recently, and I was like, oh fuck, of course, they're just full of bangers, and I just must have been in the right mood at the time. And this was the first track on the first one of them. Uh, Alex Cameron is an Australian uh, singer-songwriter man, I believe, and I remember reading a review of his recently, and it started off by saying, Alex Cameron is a scumbag. And then it clarified... Uh, well, the character of Alex Cameron is a scumbag. This is a, <laughs> like this one. This one you might take issue with because I mean, like, well, what what summary about it? I mean, like to me, if the Atari song was an upbeat kind of, you know, you can do anything and you can be anything, and it doesn't matter what happens to you, the bad stuff, because the good stuff is is part of the whole trade off. This is maybe the opposite. This is like a dark pop song. This is like a real kind of strutting home at two in the morning after breaking up with your girlfriend type situation. And this is about being in yes, an abusive relationship <laughs> and defending it um I, th- I i just think that there's a certain kind of evocative sense of the the arrangement here and his kind of 
a very dexterous ability to dance around it. The way it kind of switches from verse to pre-verse to chorus, there's a real dance with it. It's kind of putting its hand out to go- to bring you along with him. Uh, I'm very, very impressed by his cadence. It's got that fucking incredible strutting bass line. There's a sax solo at the end. I, it's very, very knowing. It's it's very much, you know, a commentary on that kind of thing. But it also is, it is reminiscent of some of the more dramatic, emotional summer nights I've had. I've had many of them. And <laughs> how you don't always get the girl and even when you do maybe it's not what you wanted after all but you're like no 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 it is everything's great man uh so yeah it spoke to me on many many levels craig uh good yes, bad, and sound of the works. summer <laughs> sound of the summer sound of many a summer yeah i will say yeah the baseline was probably the one element where i'm like okay that's kind of summery there's something about that like it's got that hazy uh like thick vibe to it um it kind of, yeah, it was like along the lines of a, a zombie's time of the season, really. Well, I had, uh, I will say I had other choices kind of earmarked for this position, this number four, because I, like you, I went through, like, I've got a ton of honourable mentions when we get to the end of this section, but, like, at one stage I had, like, a 15-song strong shortlist, and I had, like, oh, two yeah. or three other ones maybe that could go in here. One in particular that was so close, and the one that I didn't pick, I was like... It's just a bit of an obvious shout. And I kind of wanted to colour outside the lines a bit with this one. And thus, Alex Cameron slithered his way in. All right, let's do my number four. Yes, sleigh bells, real, real. Sound of freshly cut grass, flaking <laughs> out in Stephen's green, falling asleep during your lunch break and getting back to work late, which may or may not have happened. Uh, this was off uh, 2010's Treats, I think, which is a great album. Um, I think it, you know, it was quite influential in terms of, you know, those heavily manipulated, distorted drums, kind of the crunchiness, the cool kind of detached vocals echoing like 60s girl groups that do all those kind of summer smashes but also some like you know gen x Stephen malkmus drawl it kind of reminds me somehow it's like in the same vocal bandwidth of um steal my sunshine which is another um kind of maybe ironic summer banger it's a great song i think um but yeah like this this is totally in the bracket for me of songs that kind of are reminiscent of like American heat and like warm pavements and it reminds me of kind of early days going to New York or whatever like in the same bracket as like um, a lot of broken social scenes stuff for me stars and suns Um, just you know like a real breeziness to it Um, yeah I just think it's a great song as well it's an absolute triumph, yeah. Excellent, excellent selection here. I, I love it. And it's the the very, very opening kind of note or whatever the fuck it is, that kind of weird shimmery gong effect or yeah. whatever's going on to open the song. That almost sounds but, like um, like the bell going off in school to let you out or something. There's just something about the sense of freedom that comes in just when you hear that for the first time. Yeah, that's a really good show because I think uh, I haven't fully worked out the lyrics, but it does seem to concern itself a lot with like doing Adderall in like the bathroom of your high school and then just being like, fuck it, I'm done with school. It is like a hipster school's out. <laughs> so that works. The sample as well, like just kind of the guitar that runs through it is Funkadelic, which just works so well. It's one of my favorite uses of samples. Um, Can You Get To That, which is a great, great song as well, but um, totally reinvents it. Um, the melody over the top, it's a great song. 
Fantastic song, exceptionally cool, and it did kind of like it looked like for for a hot minute that sleigh bells were going to be the new big thing, and then they just never yeah, recaptured man. it. It is a great Fizzled album, out. but then after that, it was like, yeah, yeah okay. I think a lot of people copied their sound, even when like Modern Vampires of the City came out a couple of years later, maybe three years later, and just had that kind of treated drums, and which you heard a lot. They were definitely kind of innovators around the time, and just yeah, fizzled out. It's like. Like summer number, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all the hopes, all the promise. <laughs> number three for me. I find it really fitting that when we played that clip, the sun just kind of came out of the dark clouds there in my to the left of where I'm sitting and just is piercing through right now. Currently uh, like bathed song, in light. You look like a oh, vision, man. David. <laughs> this song to me, yeah, I, I, like it's 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 astounding. This song is uh, called Bones. And the band are called Male Bonding. I'm going to repeat that real quick because. That's uh, I like I guess the point I want to make here, and again, the song is called Bones. The band are called Male Bonding. It is my hope that when people listen to the show, we're not specifically a new music podcast like the Another Nine podcast or some other ones, but we are a podcast that absolutely loves sharing our favorite songs and often songs that we don't like too. It is it is my genuine hope that sometimes people come away from an episode and go, oh, I've never heard that thing before. This isn't me trying to be fucking hipster. I don't think that male bonding are very well known. Um, I certainly probably only know of them because of back in the hot press days, I was given the album to review. And I very, very vividly remember, maybe you do as well, Craig, Stuart yeah, I do, Clark, yeah. who we love to bits, who deputy editor of hot press, who will be in the office with us on the killing floor with us uh, in the trenches. Uh, Stuart would have a habit of playing songs that he would like a lot. <laughs> uh, some of them we didn't like and we're like, Jesus fucking Christ, if I hear that cashier number nine song again, I'm going to throw myself out the window. But every Bruce now and then... we take care of our own. Do you remember that, that was <laughs> That was inescapable. Uh, man, I, I remember getting up and just lagging out the office one day when those fucking drums came in. But he also happened upon this, uh, Bones by Male Bonding. And he played on repeat. And this is, to me, like another classic example of a song that's like six minutes long, feels like about two minutes long. This is always my go-to song for like I, I for for a sunny day. I think that the song is fucking solar powered. Um, the subsequent album didn't really do that much for me. I think it was called Endless Now. I think I gave it like a two out of five in the magazine at the time. But I've always come back to this, and I've had conversations with a friend of mine before about it. How like maybe we we, we would prefer if it was better produced. It's maybe a bit too washed out, a bit too hazy. But I think it's okay. I, I this is such a gem. It's been a song that I've been championing now for about eight years, and. Again, you talk about summer jams. I'm like, well, male bonding bones is in there for me every day of the fucking week. It's just relentless. It's a fucking vision of a song. And again, you talk about a song that just picks you up and drags you along with it. You're running by the end of it. It's fantastic. And to me, it's it's just, it has every positive, evocative thing about it. It, it just, like, you're kind of bulletproof when you're listening to this song. Yeah, no, I always love this song. Uh, that was like, was that summer 2011? 2011 or 2012, yeah, one of those. Yeah, 
Yeah. Um I was I was thinking of like soundtracks around that time and like fucking evenings just exhausted drinking in the pav. <laughs> um I will say drinking in LA did not make my list. That's uh, a spoiler there. Brand Van Three Thousand, that was like right up there. Uh, I was a bit too listless. Um, but yeah, nice nice of you bringing this to people's attention. Um, along those lines, what what was going to be top of my list was a song I don't think many people know. Uh, it's a song by Jonathan Richmond called That Summer Feeling. <laughs> the most perfect song ever written about summer. And my sister was like, nah, it's, it's not a summer song, no. It's about summer. It's like an autumn song. I was like, damn it, you're kind of right. But go listen to that. <laughs> And then listen to this, my number three, which is a little number you might know. Happy to be bringing it to people's attention. I love the colorful clothes she wears And the way the sunlight plays upon her hair I hear the sound of a gentle On the wind that lifts her perfume through the air you know that one dave why do you have to make this thing so obscure i mean like it's just not really that fair it's one thing for me to throw out something that maybe people haven't heard but this is just ridiculous yeah this was when i stopped fighting and i was just going with like the the, the evocative numbers um so yeah of course speech boys good vibrations um no brian wilson no sunshine buddy <laughs> This was of course around the time um brian wilson started recording in an actual sandpit um I first got into Pet Sounds as an album when I was like, I think I was like 14 or 15. It was the summer I went to the Goyle Talked. <laughs> so Pet Sounds was one of my soundtracks of the Goyle Talked, along with Hail to the Thief by Radiohead. <laughs> so quite the mashup. Um, that summer I also went to Portugal and had to sleep on a balcony because the bed was so uncomfortable. So... Two in the morning, on a balcony outside, sleeping, listening to this, staring out at the grand vistas of Portugal. A teenage Craig was very much enjoying this. Um, I think as well, the Coral's second album, Magic and Medicine, was on on repeat as well. Passed it on. Good memories. Um, and yeah, like this is just such a such a sublime song. It's like a, technically one of the most perfect songs ever. I think. Um, are you, you're you're not a Beach Boys guy, right? <laughs> I'm not not a Beach Boys guy, but okay. on, back up. I I cannot picture you in the Gale Talked. No matter how hard I try, I can't see this. Really? Can oh well, I can I can speak. No, that's that was a problem, right? <laughs> I was fucking shamed and cock blocked by like one of the fucking Voon tours at a dance when I was I finally like got up the courage to go over to a girl and like ask her to dance because you have to do that traditional bullshit, right? And of course, everyone was just speaking English for like the duration of the thing because no one could really speak Irish apart from a couple of people. And as I was asking in English, the fucking teacher came up behind me and was like, whatever it is in Irish, like, oh, you have to ask in Irish. <laughs> and I was just like, I fucking can't. What is happening? Scared for life. But it was a good time overall. Well, yeah, it sounds it, man. I'm um, Cadigum Dull Gajion Dance. That's what I went for. That's, yeah. Douse, did it work? <laughs> did it work? Yeah, it did. But like... Did you I mean, get you the have shift, to dance Craig, I guess is what I'm asking. I, I might have got the shift, yeah. Well, yeah. congrats, man. You must have felt like a beach boy. <laughs> I said, <laughs> I said, never again. <laughs> I've been <laughs> celibate ever since. <laughs> what also, a sad did, story. 
this was like prominently used in a terrible film, I think, around about that time. Can you remember? It was about don't a you, DJ. Don't, don't, I was about to say, don't you dare say Vanilla Sky, because it's using <laughs> no, Vanilla no, Sky, no. and I think it's great, and I love that film. A film about a DJ. Uh, yeah. A washed up DJ that goes deaf. <laughs> oh, is it, it's all gone Pete Tongue. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I never actually it's saw used that. used quite one. well in that, actually. Oh, did you not? It's a, you, yeah, don't go on. It had a great soundtrack. Um, I'm not, I should clarify, listen, this isn't the Beatles. I like the Beach Boys. I just don't really throw them on, you know? I think everything I've heard is pretty good. They seem to be good at what they're doing. <laughs> Carry on regardless, says Dave. Keep at it. <laughs> All right, let's, uh, let's steal into my, into my silver medal this week, shall we? It's one that you yeah. know quite well, Craig. If I can't trust you, then damn it, Hannah. There's no future, there's no answer. Though we live on the U.S. dollar, you and me, we got our own sense of time. It's all about that kick in, isn't it? If I can't trust you, oh, then God. damn it, Hannah, there's no future, there's no answer. That is Vampire Weekend and Hannah Hunt taken from their masterpiece record, Modern Vampires of the City. I presume, Craig, that this would be a track that your sister, the wonderful fair city legend that is Martha Fitzpatrick, would object <laughs> to being on this list because it is a bit wintry, maybe. It is, yeah. Like, it's a very wintry album. Um, I do think, like, the ambience of this track and the kind of um, like the sub bass stuff that's going on is quite, there is a summer feel to it. The album came in like May as well, I think. It was kind of a May, June album, I remember. Um, and yeah, I remember like <laughs> loving the album and the moment that convinced you that I was right, that was a masterpiece was that kick in. Remember you being like, oh, that was like, I was listening to the album through, you're like fucking halfway through it or you're like five or six tracks in and the kick in happens. You're like, oh shit, they're doing this. They're actually doing this. <laughs> I didn't know they had it in them uh, and I do like I did like them up to that point but this to me was like the ultimate step up I think it's a literally perfect song on an album that might well be perfect as well but for me especially it holds personal resonance because one of my best friends um, who has been such a important figure for me in terms of shaping my taste in music and my love for it was home uh, from the other side of the world at the time and unfortunately doesn't come home terribly often and I remember very very specifically being in my room uh, with, again, out the window. I remember having my window open full fucking, as far as it would go, because it was boiling hot. It was, sun was fucking pelting down. And this would have been around that time because I think I had the album in advance to review it. So it must have been around May uh, of what, 2013? And yeah, um, we were in my room. We were playing FIFA together. Uh, we were drinking beers and we were about to go out like a little bit later. And I just remember, I remember that moment and I remember that moment feeling really kind of important to me because like I say, this was a friend of mine who has thrown so much amazing music my way. And to me, it was like, wait till you hear this. You know, I was like, I've got something you got to hear. And I put it on and I wait for that. Oh, you didn't, in. you didn't put headphones on. <laughs> no, 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 <laughs> this I didn't. song will change your life. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't go full garden state. No, never, ever do that. I've ever. also done that to you, of course. Well, of I've course. I had to yeah. do one earbud on a, on a fucking bus. <laughs> I'm, I'm happy to tell that story. To the Blue Nile. I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm happy to tell that story as well. But like, first I will say that like, 
it was the kicking and i remember him look, turning to me just like fucking i remember like clinking glasses and it was like yeah like I, i've been accused before by people of like wanting to create moments or have these moments and i'm like fuck yeah man it's like what else we got so that to me was a special one and this song takes me back there all the time and i think right now even though even though we were indoors you know playing a video game and weren't outside in the outside world at the time I want that back. I want that moment again. I desperately want to see my friend again. I desperately want to have those moments. I think we all have those feelings. And this song brings me there every time. And it's just a beautiful memory for me. But also, yeah, equally beautiful, Craig, of course, is coming home from Electric Picnic uh, (laughs) after another fucking hot press nightmare. And us on the bus home, you, we were were both fairly sozzled, let's be honest. But I remember you were like, hey, come here. You're like, hey, come here, man. And what happened? (laughs) What did you do? I played the Blue Nile for you, David, but uh, I also wanted to listen, so I gave you one earbud, and I listened to <laughs> through the other one. <laughs> and it was beautiful. And oh, look at us the now. downtown lights, what a song. Look at us now, man. We're here. Oh, we've just made another memory. Okay, <laughs> my number two. Dave, you might remember early last summer, I gazed deep into um, my tea leaves, my iced tea leaves, and I predicted that Senorita would be a huge summer hit, maybe the song of the summer, the sound of the summer. It came to pass. Do you know how I knew that, Dave? Because the pressure sure was set. I knew it had the same ingredients as a global smash in the form of this song. Never really knew that she could dance like this. I'm gonna I'm gonna give it to you, Craig. I'm gonna give it to you, right? We don't, we don't know the sequencing of what these are. I don't know what's on your list, you don't know what's on mine. But that was a pretty fucking amazing fuck you after the Dave gets emotional section. Well done. <laughs> I know, we couldn't have planned it better. Um listen, this is a terrific song. Those clarinet parts, like for God's sake, they just speak of summer. I think Latin music in general, like Latin pop, has this kind of sewn up, right? So that was, of course, Hips Don't Lie by Shakira, uh, featuring, yeah, sorry, Hips Don't Lie by Shakira, featuring Wyclef Jean. Um, I also learned that Wyclef Jean had essentially this song already recorded and out, and Shakira just like sang over it and they reconfigured it a a little bit. But there's a song called Dance Like This that if you Spotify it, it's like Wyclef Jean with another female artist and it's pretty, pretty similar, pretty close to it. This, of course, was like a global smash. Um, It was originally written for a Fuji's reunion. Did you know that? Uh, No, first I'm hearing of it. It was titled Lips Don't Lie. It was never completed due to uh, Lauren Hill's dissatisfaction with it. Um, but then it became like a monster hit recorded in Miami. It's just the heat like emanates off it. Um, I remember this summer distinctly and it was everywhere. Was it the summer? Yeah, it was the summer. I think I was finishing up in school just on holidays. It's like it's total gibberish. It's like glorying in the gibberish of the lyrics. The vocals kind of Shakira doing her usual thing. I'm not even the biggest fan, but this is just kind of like undeniable. Um, it's what summer is all about. And I think this like set a standard for other songs that would just dominate charts and stuff. Um, it was it was like number one for about nine weeks, I think, in Ireland. Um, and like the Irish public are never wrong, David, as we know. I'll deny it. I think it's really <laughs> annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you might. It might be the Shakira vocals, but yeah, I've always loved this one. The clarinet. It's the fine. clarinet. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah, I'm aware, Craig. I know this is carnage. <laughs> uh, yeah, no. Ash, Kira, fair play to her. I mean, Don't Bother is a pretty enjoyable, ridiculous little love song. It's fine. This is fine. It's it's not it's not on the offensive level of annoyance, but it's a bit irritating. So, Craig, <laughs> for, for my number one, uh, I'm going to play a slightly extended piece of music here because I, I felt it was important. And this, you know, I think male bonding could have been number one for me. Vampire Weekend could have been number one for me. But the more I thought about it, the more I was like, nah, it's got to be this one. If this isn't also your number one, you certainly thought about it. So maybe it is a crossover. Maybe it's not. But ultimately, a lot of credit has to go to you here. And I'm going to I'm going to pay that credit back by having this song come in the, the way that it should come in. Take it away, Joe. Yes. Give that man the microphone. We've got 501 years of tunes, and we're going to play them all. Okay, here in this land lives a group called Corner Shop, and this next selection, we could not bring ourselves to fade it. God prevented it. Let it roll with Jolinda Sher. <laughs> incredible yes. <laughs> just incredible yes indeed it is of course corner shop and 6am delunder share that was the late great joe strummer introducing the track on his bbc show that he had for a while that craig introduced me to once and craig insists yeah. that this this track cannot be fully enjoyed unless he's there as well so good yeah i think he had like a limited run on i think it was the bbc world service it was called london's calling and he just had such a kind of eclectic mix of songs at like i think he was probably late 90s at a time when people probably and people that were into Joe Strummer probably weren't uh, exposed to a lot of this kind of stuff um so yeah it's a really good show you can you can find it everywhere online now thankfully but yeah Corner Shop um really slept on band as well I think wildly underrated yeah and listen ultimately if someone if someone picked Brimful of Asha for this list I'd be like yeah absolutely it's a fucking sure. belter but 6am Jill Undershare to me which is just this incredible loop uh but that doesn't get boring again to mention my aforementioned friend again i did play this for him and i remember him saying i could listen to this on repeat for hours <laughs> like yeah it yeah, does yeah. Have that kind of hypnot- hypnotic effect um it's an incredibly feel-good song it i i, I can't I, I don't really picture things too often when i listen to music but with this one i just i do see a cascading shimmering sunlight coming down there's just it's it's it, it really is that powerful to me i mean like it's 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 feel good it's incredibly well put together. It's just fucking awesome. <laughs> like, it's awesome in every sense of that word. It is the sun in music form. And you didn't pick it, did you? <laughs> I did not pick it, but I agree with all of that. <laughs> it, it it never gets boring. It's like the, a combination of like a, like a mantra meditation with like a shot of espresso. Like, it's, it's so, so good. But now I'm going to stick to my like unabashed, um, blatant pop... Um, <laughs> This week, next week, I'll be back on my hipster bullshit. 
But here's what you get when you pair one of the most renowned classic rock guitarists around with the singer from Matchbox 20. It was the 90s. It was summertime. Man, it was a hot one. For fuck's sake. I really feel, Craig, I really feel like this was designed to just undercut me at every turn and to <laughs> put me out there and be like, fuck off, Dave. Here's Smooth by Santana. Featuring, Featuring Rob, Rob Thomas, Thomas of Matchbox 20. <laughs> Who absolutely nails it. Um, yeah, this was taken from like the the ridiculously selling um, Supernatural, I think it was. Santana's kind of really big comeback. It was like 1999. Uh, this was a monster. Um, but it's great. Like from the opening... I, I think I disliked it for a couple of years and then I was like, get over yourself. It just instantly raises your body temperature. I'm sweltering listening to this. I'm enjoying it. The video is like kind of so tied to it as well. Everyone out on the street. I mean, it's a horror show now, obviously, of like um, lack of social distancing. But yeah. <laughs> the most transgressive song of the turn of the century. <laughs> I think I, I think when I picked Enrique Iglesias' Rhythm Divine as a motivational song uh, all those weeks ago, it stirred something deep within me, Dave, and um, this is a path that I'm now going down and I'm picking smooth. <laughs> I was reading up about the song and um, apparently Ricky Martin was a tiny bit responsible for it as well. So Rob Thomas was talking about when he was like going to record this song with Santana and um, he, he went to his band, he went to the legendary Matchbox 20 and said, look, is it cool if I do this song with Carlos? And um <laughs> This was right after Living La Vida Loca was dominating charts. So like this was like Ricky Martin had ushered in this wave of Latin pop. And uh, the guitarist Paul uh, from Matchbox 20 was like to, to Rob, um, is it is it going to be like Living La Vida Loca? And Rob Thomas said, no, dude, it's nothing like that. It's a real Carlos Santana song. And he was like, oh, OK, do it then. Uh, so it wasn't gimmicky like Living La Vida Loca. It was a real tune. No fluff. Uh, just like whoa, lots of references. Whoa, 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 to... whoa, 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 whoa! Don't fucking come for living La Vida Loca. That song's amazing. This I'm song being is sarcastic also because this, yeah, this is like right in that fucking pigeonhole as well. Like it's there's no like there's no like higher tier of where smooth is like. Some, I'm just making sure, you know, man. I'm just like, I, I, like if someone if someone starts talking trash about living La Vida Loca, I'm throwing fists. <laughs> I wonder now, would Rob Thomas be cancelled for, like, those lyrics talking about, like, Spanish Harlem Mona Lisa's, the, the shirt, the shirt alone, the Cuban shirt with the, like, fecking dragons on it in the video. I think as long as, like, Santana says it's fine. I think this song transcends cancellation. This song is the thing that is played at the end of the high school movie where the crusty old Dean is like, oh, fine, and then starts dancing himself because it's that good. (laughs) Uh, Listen, I'll give it to you, right? I was about to call you a fucking cartoon character for picking this one, but I will say that, like, I think in the clip that was played, Rob Thomas's conviction kind of sold me. And maybe it's It's the moment that we're living in, Craig. Maybe it's this moment in time, this strange moment that we find ourselves within in which we are as, as, as far apart as we are together. Maybe it is time for a smooth song about smoothness to really 
break down no. that last barrier. There's an interesting article um, in Vox um, about what this song kind of means now. Oh, or whenever Greg. It's Vox. When it was like, or maybe it was like 2016 or whatever, but it was um, it was coming back in fashion. It was like a wave of nostalgia. And the crux of the argument of like why this resonates with kind of younger listeners now is that like, it was a throwback to like a pre-9-11 time um like just before shit got real in the world um it was like you know the way people talk about like the fucking reagan administration in the 80s and like i had that campaign of like it's morning in america and this like face fake sense of like everything's great these are the golden ages like blah 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 i feel like the 1999 pre-even millennium bug was like summertime for humanity dave it was a simpler time santana was wiling out on his guitar and he was top of the charts with fucking rob thomas people were running through water sprinklers i mean summer is not a hip time this is not a hip song it's a great song we uh we tempted fate did we we angered the gods somewhere with this i think this was so the anthem this was our, the last doom the final day of summer yeah all right fair enough good five man i enjoyed that and if nothing else <laughs> You've got me. You've got me hankering to throw on "Smooth" by Santana featuring Rob Thomas of Matchbox Twenty once again. <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. So this episode of No Encore was engineered by our sonic architect Adam Shanahan. As noted, hey. you can get us on Patreon at Patreon.com/slash No Encore. I've been listening to a whole bunch of other things this week, Craig. So I will let you know now what that is. Um, Tell my me. beloved, my beloved Mushroom Head, a band that I quite enjoy, uh, are somehow still going. An enduring metal band who are fond of the old grease paint. They put out a new song there. They're, they have an album coming. They've been through so many different members at this stage that I kind of find it hard to keep track of who's still there. But um, yeah, I mean, like. They're never going to be what they were back in the old solitaire unraveling glory days. They kind of peaked on the album 13. Uh, this new song is totally fine, if very generic as these things go. But the good news is, is that Spotify has done the honourable thing and finally put their last few albums on Spotify, which haven't been there for some time. So Save Your Sorrow in particular is a decent one to check out if you're interested at all. Uh, some Irish stuff. We should note that friend of the show, Royal Yellow, has dropped his new song May the 1st on, of course, May the 1st. It's got a back yeah, and forth. I'm loving that Hannigan. one. At the so it's good. great. He's getting a lot of attention yeah, for it as well, which is awesome. Um, on top of that, you've got what else you got here? Benny Smiles put out a track called When We Touch a few weeks ago. Really kind of cool yeah. synth number. Um, there's actually a bunch of remixes coming in a week's time on that track, which are worth checking out, including uh, Fake Name, who is also known as Dave McLaughlin of Exla Galaxy fame. He got involved and ended up kind of beefing out an entire track onto that one. So if you're in that kind of, you know, like college electric youth kind of vein you know check out that benny smiles stuff it's pretty good i finally sat down and watched the film first man the ryan gosling goes to space movie and the score yeah i i is what the score is great yeah i I didn't enjoy the film as much as i thought i would I Some avoided it for a long time. It felt I avoided it for a long yeah. time because I was kind of like, I, I didn't want to see it. And then I, I enjoyed it more than I thought I would as a consequence. But it was okay. the music that, that drew me in. And uh, the score by Justin Hurwitz is well worth checking out, uh, particularly like the landing. That song was a piece of music. is fucking astonishing. And also, um, for some reason today, I was just in, in, in a Smashing Pumpkins kind of mood. And I threw on the old pumpkins, uh, put out a tweet, which I, oh, I saw did not your- anticipate. <laughs> I did not anticipate it getting I any forgot reaction. To get it. Yeah, I... <laughs> 
<laughs> I was called away by work. I was about to dive in and get involved because it was ridiculous. Go, go ahead. On. No, no, <laughs> no. You, go on. No, no. You, tell you, us the tweet. <laughs> I said might be a freezing cold take here, <laughs> but ice cold. Smashing Pumpkins, if anything, were quite underrated, don't you think? Insanely good in their prime. And most people got involved and were like, I absolutely agree, Dave. What are you about to say? <laughs> underrated? Like, what are you talking about? <laughs> like, critically lauded. I feel like they're one of those bands where, like, all the reissues have got over nine pitchfork. Of course, at the time, they sold, like, they sold more albums than God. Like, they <laughs> when you actually look at the number of albums they sold, it's, it's phenomenal. They were essentially the Eagles of the 90s. I'm making the point, Craig, that like in recent years, their legacy has been quite tarnished. Of course, yeah, no, yeah, because that's of what Billy. I meant. Um, it was a throwaway tweet actually, on a Thursday morning. Fuck off. <laughs> no, I enjoyed it. Yeah. And actually, it, it probably has inspired me to delve back into the back catalogue over the weekend. So thank you for that. Because we've had these discussions over the last year or two where a, a lot of their stuff, a lot of their kind of slower stuff, the ballads, the dreamier stuff is great. Um, and they've a lot of kind of B-sides and stuff that just fell by the wayside that to me is like far outstrips the, the singles. So yeah, a lot of their stuff is probably underrated. So yeah, seek that out. I wasn't trying to be, I wasn't trying to be like kind of knowingly arch about it. I was just like, they're fucking unreal. And I don't think people say it enough. <laughs> Maybe I'm naive, okay? Ice cold, Dave. What's cooler than being cool? A cold being David. <laughs> That's just mean. That's just mean. Uh, what have I been listening to? I've just been listening to, I've just been listening to my same old bullshit. Um, I dipped back into Franz Ferdinand and I was like, yeah, they hold up actually. I wasn't too sure. I was a bit nervous going back, but yeah, no, they were a great band. People go and listen to them. Lindsay Wells, the B-side is one of their best songs. So if you haven't heard that, check it out. I kind of like the new James Blake song, um, You're Too Precious, uh, more so than a lot of the Assume Form stuff. So check that out. It just sounds like James Blake, but it's good. I really wish the 1975 would stop liking all the same music I like because it means I have to begrudgingly enjoy all the fucking singles that come out. Oh, are uh, you the into new the one? one? Yeah, I fucking dig it. Like, it's so derivative and I can, like, name all the elements that are stolen this is, from the uh, songs. If you're too great. shy, let, let me know. Let me know, yeah. It's it's good, like... It's it great. Good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's great, but no, I agree. Like, when I saw them live, they played it and it's got that big <laughs> sax solo at the end. No, it's great, but here's the thing. I, I, I'm, I'm also with you in that, like... It is just like, oh, we watched Mannequin over the weekend and yes, totally. thought, well, why don't we do that? Which I wonder. I wonder if, if that's enough. But we'll talk about that album fairly soon, I suspect. We I will be subjecting to you to another, another 1975 album. 22 songs long, I believe. So get ready oh, for that. And in the meantime, I think that's about the end of the show. Uh, it's been fun. It's been fun re- re- revisiting these these wistful summers. I should note, I actually didn't mention any of my honourable mentions in the, the old top five there, did I? So I should probably throw out a few of those. Yeah, go ahead. Some of the ones that did not make my list this week include Float On by Modest Mouse. That was my aforementioned It's a Bit Obvious of a Choice. It is a fucking astonishing song, though. Uh, yeah, I had Dashboard that was kind of roaming about there as well. They've a lot of those I love kind that of equally, Good, yeah. Great choice, yeah. Uh, Midnight City by M83, Shuffle by Bombay Bicycle Club, Atlas by Battles, A One Thousand Times by Hamilton and Rostam, Drinking in LA and Steal My Sunshine were also on mine. Uh, My Coco by Stella Star, that's another kind of no one knows that one, well worth checking out. And uh, you mentioned Sam's Town, Craig. I'd, I'd have a bit of When You Were Young in there, so I would, by the old killers. Oh, really? <laughs> you know the devil's water, it ain't so sweet, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> you don't drink right now. That is a great song. I love that song. It's so ridiculous, but so good. (laughs) All right. I think we're done.
Yeah, let's name, close it down. Let's close it down. My name is Dave Hanready. His name is Craig Fitzpatrick. This has been No Encore, and we'll be back next week. See ya. This podcast is part of the Headstuff Podcast Network. better than grinding all night for your side hustle is your roommate picking you up with mickey d's breakfast the perfect pickup deal there's a deal for every morning at mcdonald's right now taste breakfast perfection when you get a warm and savory sausage mcmuffin with egg for just 250 price and participation may vary cannot be combined with combo meal Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.